The text this afternoon is verses 7 to 11 of Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read those verses with each other again. Hebrews 12, starting verse 7, and we'll take the text note there for the beginning. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals you with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Thus far God's word. After the sermon, we'll sing together from hymn 74, all four stanzas. Beloved children of God, how is it possible that God is all-loving, all-powerful, and yet there is suffering in this world? Secular philosophers call this the problem of evil. And they say it's actually impossible. It's impossible for there to be an all-loving and all-powerful God. And yet, for mankind to experience suffering and hardship. So they say if you're experiencing suffering, if you're going through a time of hardship, well, there's no sense in looking to God because he obviously doesn't exist. A different attack on those who experience hardships in this life comes from a more unlikely corner, from the prosperity gospel teachers. The proponents of this false gospel, and there are many, suggest that if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we're going to be blessed beyond measure. Relationship with God has a direct correlation with material blessings. God rewards obedience with blessing, they say. And so if you're experiencing hardships or suffering, well, then there's obviously something going wrong in your relationship with God. And so you need to try harder and you need to hope for better days when God returns his favor to you again. Now, both of these false religions make the same mistake. They assume that suffering and hardship is a problem for our relationship with God. But our text this afternoon tells a much different story tells us that it's precisely in the moments of hardship and suffering, of pain and discomfort, of difficulty and trouble, that we should recognize God's love most clearly. One theologian put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences and he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to wake up a deaf world. We're reminded this afternoon that our earthly sufferings don't prove that God isn't there. In fact, they prove that God is there, that he loves us, and that we are his children. The gospel, the good news in our text is that our earthly hardships are a testimony to the fact that we are sons and daughters of the living God. Our Father's using struggles and hardships to shape us, 
to mold us into his image. He's using them to strengthen us in our race of faith, that race we looked at this morning. And so we're called to also see them in this light and then to submit humbly to the work that our Father is doing in us. That's the message of the gospel this afternoon. Submit yourself to your Father's loving discipline. And then you'll find that you will live as his child. Then you'll also share in his holiness and you'll produce a harvest. So submit yourself to your Father's loving discipline and then you'll live as his child. Now the message of our text is really quite a simple one and it comes right away. Endure hardship as discipline. That is, look at the difficulties you face in this life as part of your training, as part of your education, your discipleship. They're not outside of God's control, as the secular philosophers suggest. They're not a sign of God's curse, as the prosperity gospels will say. Instead, they're part of your schooling, you might say. And the author of Hebrews is drawing on a familiar reality again for his first century listeners. The, the world of the household. In the Roman household, the father was responsible for the discipline and the training of his children. It was a process called paideia. It's the word translated in the text note as discipline, and the word behind the word chastening as well. Paideia. The English word discipline and chastening make us think of punishment. But paideia was much more than just punishment. It included that, but it was anything really that would further the development of a child in the household. That included punishment but also so much more. The father was the one who was responsible in the Roman household to educate his children. In particular, the sons. They were the heirs of the household. They were the ones to take over the responsibility of the household. And so he did all that he could to ensure that the son was ready to take over his place as head of the household. He had to shape him and mold him. Now, sometimes these fathers had other children in the household as well. Children with the slave women. That was their right as master of the household as well. But these other children, they were slaves as well. They didn't need to be disciplined. They didn't need to be corrected and trained. They simply needed to be taught whatever was necessary for them to fulfill their role in the household, to be slaves like their mothers. It wasn't necessary for these illegitimate children to undergo paideia. This is the picture we're to imagine here, what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. So the author of Hebrews is telling us that hardships are part of God's paideia, of his disciplining process. And like the Roman father in the household, God only disciplines those he loves, those who are his pride and joy, the heirs of his household. That means that our hardships and our difficulties in this life, they don't separate us from God's love. They're not a sign of his absence, but they're a proof of his love. Only those who are children are worthy of receiving discipleship, of receiving discipline at God's hands. That's the secret. That's the secret of our text. That's how we understand suffering in the life of a Christian. That's the place of hardships. They're a sign of God's love. But then the opposite is also true, and the author points that out as well when he talks about illegitimate children. If we're not facing discipline, if life is easy because we're coasting along, we're failing to struggle with the sin that's in our life, then we need to beware. For God only disciplines those he loves. It's the same thing for earthly fathers and mothers. 
The author of Hebrews uses this earthly model to illustrate the heavenly reality. And he says, earthly fathers and mothers need to discipline their children too. It's only loving to discipline. It's not loving to allow children to grow up in a world without rules and without consequences for behavior. And the goal is always to develop godly character. We want our children to understand more fully what it means to be a child in Jesus Christ. And also what a relationship with Christ means for them. And then that requires things that they might see as hardships. Sometimes that means inflicting pain. Sometimes that means withholding things. Sometimes that means giving them things that they don't really want. But always in love. Love dictates that discipline is administered, but it also dictates how discipline is administered. And then when it's done in this way, when it's done in love, then our children also learn to respect us for it. Then they learn to trust that these people who are disciplining them, their parents, have their best interests in mind. That even though it's painful in the moment, they understand it's done in love. And the opposite is much worse Because complete lack of discipline can also mean complete lack of love. This is the same respect that the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage us to have towards God's discipline. Towards the hardships that God places in our way. He says, do you respect human parents who discipline their children out of love? Good. Then how much more shouldn't you also submit yourself to your father's loving discipline? the father of your spirits. If our children can see our love in discipline, even despite our discipline, how much more shouldn't we recognize God's love for us when he disciplines us? And so as we run this race of faith and we come up against walls of pain and despair and confusion and hardship, And rather than trying to look beyond it, which is impossible, we need to look up and see the face of our loving Father looking down on us and submit ourselves to his wise and loving work in our lives. And we need to know also that God doesn't inflict this on us willingly or happily. Just like you might when you're disciplining a child say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. So also, Scripture teaches us of God that he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Lamentations 3, verse 33. That is, he doesn't find satisfaction in the pain or the suffering or the hardship itself, but he finds joy in the benefit, in the result of that pain. And while we as earthly fathers and mothers might be inclined at times to discipline and anger, our father is always tender and careful in his discipline. No one disciplines with greater love and care. No one is more more sensitive to our particular needs and circumstances than our Heavenly Father. No one comes even close to our infinitely loving God. And so the answer to our earthly hardships is humble submission. Submit to the Father of your spirit because that's where true life is found. It's the only place we truly find life is in submission to our Heavenly Father. True life is found in recognizing that hardships and troubles and struggles and difficulties in this life are not outside the reach of His power, but that it's precisely in those moments that we find our relationship 
with our Heavenly Father. Only He has the capacity to fill our darkest moments with the light of His love. Only He can fill our lives with purpose when, humanly speaking, they seem meaningless. Because it's at these moments, these darkest moments, that we are being united with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We saw this morning how he has been the pioneer, the trailblazer of our race of faith. Well, his obedience in the face of suffering, his obedience to the cross, his acceptance of the grave, all of these things fill our own sufferings and hardships with meaning. It's because of Christ that our sicknesses are not meaningless. It's because of Christ that our loneliness is not meaningless. It's because of Christ that your sorrow is not meaningless. Your depression is not meaningless. Your struggle with sin is not meaningless because of Christ. Because of Christ's sufferings and his death, all of our darkest moments, all of our suffering and hardships are full of meaning. Because they're the means by which God is shaping us and molding us to be his children, to be sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. They bind us to our Savior, and then our sufferings become his, just as his sufferings have become ours. God treats us not just as sons and daughters, but he treats us as his own beloved son. He looks at us through Jesus Christ, and he's busy preparing us for the reward that the pioneer and perfecter of our faith has won for us. Then we see in the second place that we not only live as his children, but that we also share in his holiness. Because God doesn't discipline without purpose. As parents, we might sometimes struggle to maintain that purpose in our discipline. We find ourselves simply correcting behavior rather than trying to change the hearts of our children. But God's discipline is always on the mark. It's always perfect It's always just what we need. That's what the letter writer is getting at, comparing the human discipline with the father's discipline. When he writes, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. They indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he does it for our profit. He sets up a contrast between our poor efforts at discipline and God's perfect paideia program. Our best efforts are weak and inadequate, and we know that full well, and our children know it too. But God's discipline is always on the mark and always advances his goal. Now, what's that goal? That we may partake in his holiness. We may share in the holiness of God. Isn't that an incredible goal? That was the goal that we had from the beginning. That's why God created us from the beginning. He placed us in his creation as image bearers. Adam and Eve in the garden to reflect his glory, to share in his holiness perfectly. And in Adam and Eve, we rejected that reality. And the world became a broken place. And the image of God in us became distorted and irrecognizable almost. In our fallen state, we have no business sharing in the holiness of God. As sinful people, we have no right to share in his holiness. But in Christ. In Christ, we are being restored to this status of image bearers. 
In Christ, we've been adopted again as children, as image bearers. And now as his children, God is having us undergo this paideia process so that he can restore in us this image of God. That we can share again in his holiness. That we might again reflect his character. That's what he's doing with us here and now. He's taking weak, imperfect, sinful people like you and I. And he's at work in us. Removing imperfections and perversions that distort the image of God in us. And he does this in part through the hardships and sufferings that we experience. Perhaps the common image of the Old Testament in the Old Testament, the refiner, helps to understand this. The refiner's task was to purify metals, purify gold and silver for strength or for beauty. And so the refiner would create this intensely hot fire. And then he would take that metal, which was impure and imperfect and weak, he placed it in the hottest part of the fire to burn off the imperfections and the impurities. And as soon as that piece of metal was able to reflect his image again, then he knew that the imperfections had been removed. That's the way God's at work with us, to bring us to a pure state, to have us share in his holiness. He puts us in the middle of the fire, in that hottest place of the fire, not to hurt us, not to injure us in any way, but to melt away the impurities and the imperfections that remain. He wants to reveal in us, finally, the perfect image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the road we're on. Transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's doing with this discipline. The father submitted his son to hardship and suffering so that he could reveal to him also the glory that he might have on the throne. And now the father is doing the same thing to us today. He's treating us as sons and daughters by disciplining us because he wants us to receive the reward as heirs of his household. He wants us to share in that glory as well. Are you experiencing hardships? How is your race of faith? Is it taking you up steep mountains or through deep valleys? Know that God is treating you as his child. Know that God has your best interests in mind. Know that he's at work with you today so that you may share in his holiness. Consider that your present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in you when Christ returns. When we understand hardships in this way, then we can submit to God's discipline. It's for our eternal welfare. We share in Christ's suffering so that we may also share in his glory. It prepares us also, however, for the life of faith here and now. It shapes us for the race of faith. It produces a harvest here and now as well. We see that in the third point. Now, while we're in the middle of these hardships and sufferings, that may be difficult to see or even to accept. As the letter writer observes, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. That shouldn't surprise us. Training and discipline is often painful. Just think of the athletes who punish their bodies to get themselves into shape for the desired goal. Marathons aren't run with serious advanced training that's often painful and difficult. 
In the same way, God's paideia program, his plan of discipline with us, is not painless, as we've seen and as we've experienced. That's especially true in those moments when we're experiencing hardships. The fact that we know it's in God's control, the fact that we know what he's doing doesn't make these moments any less painful. And yet, these moments do produce a harvest. These hardships enable us to live out already now the life God intended for us to have. Just like the endless mornings spent at the track are rewarded in the successful finish of the marathon, so too the hardships that mold and shape our character are rewarded when we are there ready to face the next hurdle. These hardships strengthen our faith. They fix our eyes more firmly on Jesus Christ rather than our own strength, our own sinful selves. We can fix our eyes more constantly on Christ because of this discipline that he subjects us to. This is the harvest we receive, the strength of faith faith to face the next obstacle, the next hurdle, until we finally receive the crown of glory at the finish line. But the writer makes it even clearer than that. He writes that it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That is, because our sufferings are uniting us, are binding us to Jesus Christ, then we can share in God's holiness and we have a right relationship with God. That's our righteousness. We stand before God clothed in a righteousness that is not our own, but is ours through Jesus Christ. And this righteousness, this right relationship with God, when discipline is applied to it, produces fruit. It's a horticultural image. Fruit-bearing trees need to be pruned to stay healthy and to produce better fruit. And you could say the pruning process is, is painful, but it's necessary. And so too, God's discipline is painful, but it's necessary for us to produce better fruit. And above all, it produces the fruit of peace, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's the natural fruit of living in a right relationship with God, peace. Because peace with God means that the God of peace is living in your heart. And we learn to live as those who trust fully and completely in our loving Father. Then despite the chaos and confusion of the world around us, despite terrorist attacks and murderers on our home soil, and despite cancer diagnoses and premature death, despite depression and struggles with addiction, we rest in the knowledge that we are God's children and that he has our best interests in mind. Then we take comfort in hearing our Father say to us in love, be still and know that I am God. You see, God is busy preparing you and shaping you for your race of faith If he were to spare you the hardships early on, you wouldn't have the strength and the fortitude to face what he has in store for you later on. In many ways, it's not unlike another horticultural picture. Sometimes when you plant a row of emerald cedars side by side, in exactly the same conditions, some of them quickly flourish and others quickly die. And the ones that die are those that have been imported They're not used to the local climate, to the local circumstances. They haven't weathered the storms, the harsh winters, lack of moisture, unpredictable temperatures. They've been used to mild rainfall. 
And so the ones that have been disciplined for survival, you could say, are able to survive. But the ones that have been coddled haven't been experiencing the hardships quickly die off. God knows the circumstances that you will face in this life. He knows what you've faced in the past. He knows what lies in your future. He's placed them there for your benefit. He knows what lies ahead in the race of faith for each and every one of us. And he's busy training us for it so that we might reach the finish line. Are you experiencing hardships? Are you running a difficult stretch of track? Submit to it as discipline. God has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. Far from it. Instead, he says to you this afternoon, you're my child and I love you. Are you hurting? Trust me. I'm your father and I'm doing this for you. See, the world around us tells you if you're suffering, God doesn't exist. But we may know, we may take comfort in faith that it's precisely in the darkest moments that God is the most busy with us, molding us and shaping us into the children that he wants us to be. Do you trust him? Amen.